Um, I, I always want to recommend uh, that they stick around and that you get the opportunity uh, to introduce yourself uh, to this family, introduce yourself to Callie, um, and get to know them on a, on a deeper level. Because uh, we, we take those commitments, those covenants that we just shared and that we just proclaimed really seriously. And so we want to do that. I want to encourage that. So hopefully I'll remember by the end of the service. But we're so grateful uh, that they're here and grateful for Paulette and Leonard for their faithful presence here among us as well as Carol and so many others of the family that have joined us from time to time. And so we want to uh, begin this morning, uh, continue in worship as we dive into our next sermon series. Throughout the month of February, we're going to be unpacking this idea of what it means to be made to share, right? And so when we think about this, um, first of all, in January, it's really helpful for you to know that, <clears throat> oops, excuse me, it's really helpful for you to know that in the month of Jan January, we specifically spent time talking about how each of us can move forward to take that next step of faith, right? We, we affirmed and we believe that, as we just said, that God is already at work in our life. And so whether we are exploring the faith, whether we're new to the faith, or whether we are growing in the faith, there is something that each and every one of us can do in response to what God is already doing in our life. And so now what, we're, what we're, we hope that you're doing is taking that work seriously, right? We, we want you to keep working on those next steps of faith, and we want to help you along the way. And so we primed you for this conversation essentially about your individual, individual growth, your individual spiritual growth. And now what we want to do through this series, this Made to Share series, is we want to expand that understanding and really show you that your individual growth is directly co correlated to the growth of the church. And so sometimes what happens is that we, we tend to get in this unhealthy habit or this unhealthy view of our journey of faith. And, and what happens is, for some reason, we try to go through faith. We try to walk this journey that we feel God has called us to, right? We, God is, has redeemed us, has claimed us, has saved us. And for some reason, we, we want to go at that alone instead of going through it together, right? And so it's true that faith is personal, but it's never private. And we see that Jesus actually models this very idea because Jesus doesn't do what God has called him to do alone. Now, I, I recognize Jesus was the only one to, to do what God had called him to do. But Jesus didn't do that work alone, right? Because what God wanted to do through Jesus is start this exponential movement that would cover the ends of the earth. And so God didn't want to just save one people group, the, the Jewish people. But God wanted to save the whole world through Jesus. And so this, this idea, this, this vision that God had for the world, it began with one person, right? It began with Jesus, and then Jesus began his ministry. He began following that call, serving God. And what's interesting is that the gospel stories, they're consistent in this way. The gospel stories tell us that when Jesus began his ministry, 
the first thing he did was that he began to, to find people around him that were willing to follow him and serve in this same way. And so that's what we learn about. We, we learn that our faith is, is deeply personal and it's also relational. There's something more out of the life of faith on this journey of faith when we share it together rather than going at it alone because we exist to create community that helps us walk this journey together. And when we walk it together, we can have a positive impact in the lives of those around us. And so faith isn't simply about ourselves, but it's actually about making a difference, right? It's supposed to transform our, our life so that we want to transform other lives, or at least with God's help, we can transform other lives. And that's why we're here. That's why we're the church. That's part of our call together is that we are made to share. We are called to live the heart of God. Because when we encounter God's heart, when we encounter God's love, and we're transformed by it because we're fully known and we're fully accepted as we are, and we're given this opportunity to, to follow God despite, despite our, our missteps, despite our sin, despite the ways that we fall short of, of loving God and loving each other. And this is what happens, is that when we experience that same love, we want others to experience it too. That love, somehow it transforms us, and we want other people to have that same transformation. And that's why we're made to share. We don't do faith alone. We do it with God, and we do it with each other, and we share God's love in order to make a difference. So our big idea this morning is that this idea of made to share, it begins by first valuing what God values. And so our passage this morning, it actually gives us a, another promise, a, another problem, and yet another amazing opportunity. And what this opportunity is, is that it helps us connect us to the heart of God, and as we're connected to the heart of God, it helps us live the heart of God together as the church. And so the passage that we're reading this, mor this morning is actually a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you've heard of this, maybe you've never heard of it. But what the Sermon on the Mount is, is a, a series of Jesus' teaching. It's uninterrupted. Jesus is just giving out all these anecdotes, these teachings about several things, about a host of things, Right? And Jesus is talking about and preaching about and teaching about things about God. He even talks about how to pray, right? This is where we get the Lord's Prayer. And then he's also talking about how to treat and view one another. This is where we get the Beatitudes, if you know what that is, or, or different images about, about our role as Christians. If, if you heard of the term salt and light, right? This is where all those imagery, images and imagery come up in these teachings. And so he also teaches about the kingdom of God. And that's where we come in this morning. Jesus is talking about God, but he's also talking about the kingdom of God. And so this morning we're going to read from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to start in chapter 6. We're going to read verses 25 through 26, and then we're going to jump ahead a little bit to verses 31 through 33. And as I say every week, we encourage you to bring your physical Bibles 
If you don't have one, we have some to give away to you. They're really nice. I wish I had one, uh, but I'm saving it for you guys. So if you need one, please take one. We want you to engage in Scripture um, and to begin to, to build that relationship with God in that way. But if you don't have your Bibles, you can always follow along on your smartphones, and you can follow along on the screens. Uh, but this is what it says. Again, Matthew, the first gospel in the New Testament, chapter 6, verses 25 through 26, and then jumping ahead to verses 31 through 33. This is what it says. It says, Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body and what you'll wear. Isn't life more important than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow seed or, or harvest grain or gather crops into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? Therefore, don't worry and say, what are we going to eat or what are we going to drink or what are we going to wear? Gentiles long for all of these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. And everyone said, amen. I don't know about you, but when I first read that verse, I found it pretty challenging, right? Jesus is saying, don't worry about your life. That sounds pretty impossible, right? But if we look a little closer, when Jesus makes that challenging statement, when he says, don't worry about your life, what Jesus isn't saying is, is you should really, really try hard to not worry. Or you should just simply worry less. Jesus is saying, don't. There, there isn't a spectrum of worry that, that Jesus is telling us that we have to moderate. He's simply saying, don't do it. You either are worrying or you aren't worrying. And what Jesus is saying is actually incredibly remarkable, even though it seems impossible. If we're willing to pause just for a second and resist that, that knee-jerk reaction, right? Because our knee-jerk reaction is to say, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about right? There's no way I could just decide for myself that I'm going to not worry. I can't just turn off my worry, right? I can't just flip that switch to off. And what Jesus, I think, is trying to teach us in this passage is that you would if you knew who my Father in heaven is. You would if you knew why I am here. You would if you knew what my Father in heaven is thinks about you. Jesus is saying, you don't have to worry because my Father in heaven thinks you are so valuable that he would die for you so that you would be saved from a life that leads to worry, that leads to brokenness, that, that leads to emptiness. Jesus is telling us that my Father has a promise for you that he cannot break and that he will fulfill. In fact, he will exceed it. And my father has a dream for you. My father has a vision and a dream for the world. 
And that's why I'm here. Because you are loved. You are dearly beloved. My father has a deep affection for you. I have a deep affection for you. And we will love you till eternity. And so what Jesus is doing is he's underscoring that, that God knows who you are. God knows what your needs are. God knows and wants to meet and fulfill those needs. But there's a problem. The problem is we don't know who our Father is. For some of us, we don't know why Jesus is here. And for some of us that do, we've kind of taken that for granted. Because the bottom line is that if we did believe these things about God, and if we did believe that we are worthy, that we're valued as much as Jesus tries to tell us we're valued and demonstrates through his love, if we did, this, this radical statement wouldn't seem so radical because it would actually be real. It would shift our perspective. It would transform our lives to think differently and act differently. But our problem is twofold, is that we don't know our Heavenly Father or don't know Him as much as we should, but we're always growing in that knowledge. And the second problem is that we don't know the heart of the Father that He has for each one of us. And the first is connected to the second. Because we don't know our Heavenly Father, we don't know His heart. And we don't know His heart for each one of us. And so what this tells us, when God says that we are valued, it means that God is for us and not against us. When Paul was writing a letter to the Romans, he wrote this in chapter 8. He said, if God is for us, who is against us? He asked this question, and he follows it with this. He says, he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he freely give us all things with him? That's how much God is for us and not against us. And he continues on later down in the, in the chapter, towards the end of that chapter, he talks about how powerful God's love is. That despite whatever is going on in our lives, whatever is going on in your life right now, with Jesus, nothing can separate us from the love of God. This is what it has to say. It's a question, who will separate us from Christ's love? Will it be that we're separated by trouble or distress or harassment or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, the, the worries of our lives. But in all these things, in the midst of all these things, we win. We win a sweeping victory through the one who loved us. Therefore, Paul says, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Not death or life, not angels or rulers, not present things or future things. The things that we worry about now or the things that we think are going to happen in the future. Not powers or height or depth or anything that is created can separate us. This, this bond that we have with God through Jesus, nothing 
can break it. Nothing can separate us from it. If we're willing to believe it. And so even in distress, we don't have to worry because we have already won eternal life through the love of Jesus Christ. Through the deep affection of our Heavenly Father. We, we've already gained it, right? And this is what happens with worry. Worry doubts what we have already been given by God. And it diminishes our trust with God, right? We end up second-guessing what God has given us. We end up second-guessing this amazing, incredible love that, it, that we can't be separated from. And, and it diminishes our trust. And maybe we even start putting our trust in other things because we're afraid or, or we're just unsure. But the encouragement is this, is that if we knew the heart of our Heavenly Father, Jesus tells us we don't have to worry. If we truly value what God values, we would experience heaven on earth. And we would be the solution to other people's problems, to other people's burdens, their needs. We would be the solution to the worries that other people would have. I got an amen from Callie. If we could take our eyes off ourselves and instead trust in who God says he is and what God has already done for us, and we instead look to build a kingdom where God reigns instead of our worries. Because what happens, what's at stake is that this vision, this dream that God has, our worry, it, it diminishes that dream. It diminishes the dream that God has for us and it diminishes the dream that we have for each other, that God has for the world. We begin to focus in on ourselves and begin to, to take things into our own hands. That doesn't mean we're not responsible or we're not good stewards, but we temper that first and foremost by seeking after God and trusting what God has already given us and that what God will continue to give us. So when we take the time to take our eyes off ourselves and instead affix them to our Heavenly Father, when we seek first God's kingdom and, it says, God's righteousness, God's righteousness. it says all of these things, they'll be given to you because God already knows that you need them. But don't get so fixated on your needs that you forget about the one who's going to meet them. And don't forget that other people have needs too and that God's going to use you to meet those needs. And so the, the problem that arises that, is that our worries essentially stem from a, a lack of one, knowing who our Father is, and number two, knowing and living the heart of God. And God's heart is living for other people. That's what we talk about, living Jesus, loving community. Those two things are intertwined. When we live like Jesus, we can be transformed and that things begin to shift. Priorities begin to change and we begin to love our community over loving ourselves. So there's a promise 
that God will provide for our needs. And there's a problem that, that seems to get in our way, but there's this incredible opportunity that we have that together, as the church, when we seek God and when we seek God's righteousness, we will get to see and experience heaven on earth. When we seek the kingdom of God, we're seeking after the heart of God. And not just to know it, but for it to have presence. And for it to have a presence through us. And when you think about a kingdom, it's kind of antiquated language, but essentially a kingdom is, is territory, and it's ruled by a king, right? Well, Jesus is that king. Jesus is the one who leads his followers in loving the rest of the world as God loves them. And the truth is, the opportunity is, is that we can accomplish this vision of God when we value what God values. When we value people, when we seek the heart of God and when we live it out. When we align ourselves with God's way of living in the world, we begin to radically change the way that we treat each other. We, we change the way that we give. Maybe we've never given but all of a sudden we, we have a desire to give. We begin to prioritize things differently in our lives. We begin to pour ourselves out for the sake of others because that's what God did for us through Jesus. And so when we, when we seek the welfare of everyone because of what God has done for us, the kingdom of God is built among us. The, the kingdom of God will grow. That's awesome. It's exciting. God wants to expand this territory, right? To, to have more of heaven on earth. And so what God has, has dreamed for you and what God has dreamed for the world, it becomes real. And what happens is that instead of worry being the king, being the ruler of our lives, Jesus is. Jesus becomes that ruler. Jesus becomes that king. And what happens is when we make that shift, instead of worrying, diminishing our love, our love diminishes our worry. Do you see that correlation? When we think about ourselves, it, it diminishes our capacity to, to look outward, to think of others, and to meet other people's needs, and to love them as God has loved us. But, but somehow, when we take our eyes off of ourselves and we start looking at each other, and even though I have needs, I'm meeting someone else's needs, and someone else is able to meet my needs. If we're all doing that together, this is the gift, this is the opportunity, this is the vision that God has for God's people, for the world. Is that we don't have to worry when we know the heart of the Father and when we live it out. When we value what God values. And so we have to seek the kingdom, but we also live it out. We have to seek God's righteousness also. And it made me think about two different stories as I close. One of them... I was having a conversation with a congregant earlier this week, and we were talking about all sorts of things, but it reminded me 
of this, this story of a guy who's talking to some workers and they are building a cathedral. I don't know if you know a lot about cathedrals. I took art history uh, for a lot of years and so I got to learn a lot about cathedrals. They're actually super incredible and impressive. But the interesting thing is that they take a long time to build, right? In fact, some of you might recognize this. This is Notre Dame or Notre Dame, right? This is in, in France and Paris. Some of you might be familiar with that. It's a pretty iconic image. Some of us grew up on the, uh, what is it, the, the Disney movies, right? The Hunchback of Notre Dame. But what's amazing is that we, we look at this, and even that looks impressive. But when you, when you look at the side, when you look at this, look at that. People built that with their hands, right? And it took approximately 100 years. And, and back in those days, often the work that any person gave probably would never have been able to see it come to completion. It took generations of people to work on this. So you have people that started the work that, that it never was finished by the time that they passed away. And then you had people that were carrying on the work that weren't there or weren't around for what was started, but they got to see it in its completion. And, and so this guy is asking this worker, or workers, he's saying, he asked the first worker, what, what are you doing? And he says, I'm just, I'm just looking for work. I'm looking for something to do. And he asked the second guy, he says, says what are you doing? Well, well I'm trying to, trying to perfect my craft, perfect my trade. And he asked the third guy, he says, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a cathedral. And you see here that, that each of those three workers, they have a different perspective. One is just looking immediately at his own needs. I'm just here for work. I don't care about what happens with this in the future, but I need work. And, and then the second guy is he's probably a little bit more well off and, and he's more concerned still about himself. But he, he's thinking about how can this benefit me? I'm going to use this opportunity to, to push myself forward, right? And then we ask the third guy, and he, he has this long-term perspective. He has a vision of what is possible. That at some point, this cathedral will be built. I might not be around to see it, but that's why I'm here. I'm here for this greater purpose a purpose that is beyond myself and the purpose that will serve more people than me and will outlast me. And I think this kind of helps get at this idea of, what, of how we can seek the kingdom. The guy, the third guy that, that answered, I'm building a kingdom, he was getting paid and he was improving his craft, but he was committed to the vision. You see, when we seek first the kingdom of God, all the other things are added to it as well. That's that story. And then when we think about God's righteousness, if, if we live like God desires for us to live, I was having a conversation with Reverend Charles Barnes. Some of you know him. 
He's our, one of our pastor emeritus. I think he's in his 80s. There's a lot of wisdom and a lot of great stories to share. And he was sharing this one story with me about a Sunday school. And he was talking about the commandments, right? Some of us are familiar. How many of us know how many there are, or at least that we emphasize? I see some hands. Ten, right? We can count to ten. God must have been thinking about that. We got our fingers, right? But real quick, I'm going to run through them. I'm going to spend a long time on this. It says, you must have no other gods before me. You do not make an idol for yourself. Do not use the Lord, your God's name in vain. Don't use God's name with significance, not insignificance. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Good idea, kids. Uh, And then it gets more intense, right? It says, do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not falsely testify against your neighbor, and do not not desire your neighbor's possessions, right? And and there's actually a whole host of other rules, but it's God's way of saying, hey, I'm trying to order your lives in such a way that gives honor to me, and it gives honor to everyone else. And it's so interesting that, that Jesus, when Jesus comes around, that he has this teaching because somebody comes up to him and he says, Jesus, I've kept all these. So, so which is most important of all these? And he says this. He says to love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And he says there's a second commandment just like it. It says to love others as you love yourself. Just do those two things. And, and what Pastor Charles was telling me is when he was talking to his Sunday school class, he, he asked him this question. He said, you know, if, if we did those two things that Jesus asked us to do, do you think we would need all the rest? So when we seek God's kingdom and, and we live it out. We seek to, to honor God and, and honor each other by loving each other. When we know the Father, when we know the Father's heart, and when we value what God's value, what God values, we will share in God's endless love. We will have the capacity to, to love others as we love ourselves. And so, friends, this morning, if we are made to share, what would happen if we shared this kind of vision? What would happen if we shared this kind of love? What would happen if we learned to live the heart of God together? God has already offered us a promise. And God has already given us an amazing opportunity. And I think what happens is that if we are not only to imagine but to live into it, this is what would happen. People's burdens would be lifted, right? People's worries, they would be completely erased because people's needs would be being met. People would be experiencing God's eternal love and and people would be experiencing that value that God has for them. People would be experiencing more of heaven. The kingdom of God and God's righteousness being lived out here and now on earth. Here in Lilburn, here in Mountain Park. That's our opportunity and that's what we want to continue to unpack throughout this series. And we hope 
that you'll join us over the next several weeks as we talk about this idea and how we can actually live in to the heart of God. Because that's what we're called to be as the church. And that's why we're made to share. Amen? Amen.